one thing I have learned, and it's something that was so hard for me to wrap my head around as an academic, just the idea of trying things fast. And I've worked with coaches on this where I'm like, oh, well, I want to like integrate this one new aspect into my coaching. But, you know, I have to read these five books on it first, prepare a literature review for myself and make a spreadsheet. And it's just like, no, how about you just try it and see if it works? Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. If I'm sounding a little different, um, that is because I am not on my typical microphone. And actually, the next five intros <laughs> will not be on that microphone. I am abroad. I am traveling in India. And one of our team members just got married, which is really exciting. So little little extra side tidbit there. Um, and I would love to share some pictures of this experience as well. So we'll probably drop some in the show notes. And even if we forget, one of the show notes will have them. <laughs> Um, another side problem to not being at home is I actually don't have my notebook. I take kind of like an outline of what uh, we talked about. So the next five episodes, I'm trying to do this from memory. <laughs> so if I get any of the information wrong, please, no worries on that. Uh, it's just me trying to remember something that I did a few weeks ago. So um, just letting you guys know that also a small caveat. So yes, today I have another amazing guest, of course, Dr. Jane Jones. And I kind of Twitter stalked her for a little while. And we found each other, I think a little, little time ago, I think in maybe a Twitter chat. But she is fantastic. She works with academics on writing and productivity, actually. And her story is really interesting. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, she went into her tenure track job when she got it um, a little apprehensive and it ended up not being as joyful of an experience as she thought or wanted actually out of her career. So she actually decided to use part of her dissertation to get consulting gigs outside of um, academia. So she ended up starting her own business and working with nonprofits because her dissertation research was in that vein. So she was able to land a job there. And then um, I don't remember exactly how she ventured out of that to do what she's doing now, but we also got into an amazing conversation. This was my favorite part, talking about selling um, and putting ourselves out there and kind of asking for the sale and getting over that, um, which was a, a difficult thing um, for lots of us. It's a difficult thing for many of us. So I think you'll really appreciate that part of her conversation as well. So Without further ado, because I know I've been rambling a little bit on this intro, let me present Dr. Jane Jones. Welcome, everybody. I have with me Dr. Jane Jones. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. I've been kind of Twitter stalking you, as we do. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so excited that I was prepping and doing this big batch. I sent out a bunch of invites for people that I've been spying on for a little while. And so Jane, I don't think our paths have really crossed in any sort of personal way, but I was just spying on you and I was like, uh, I have this show. I feel like I just would love to have you on and hear your story. So yeah, yeah that's how I, I found like, you. <laughs> I feel like we're, we're both sociologists, right? We are both sociologists. You're right. How did so, we, when did we figure that out? I think we figured it out in an email. In an email. Okay. I love it. Because you, you're my second sociologist to interview now. Wow. Uh, do you know who Dr. Melanie Klein is? I don't. Uh, she I does don't. work around like yoga, em body empowerment, Ooh. like empowerment and then um, intersectionality with yoga and, of course, you know, cultural appropriation conversations oh, as well. Oh, that she, sounds really cool. Yeah. And I so she's the first sociologist that I've officially um, interviewed. And she I used to follow her 10 years ago when I was a like just a teacher just trying to do it. And mm -hmm. she also does a bunch of stuff on like media and gender representation in the media. So she did a lot of activism in like LA and Hollywood around that. So um, oh, yeah, so right. she was big on Twitter. And then sure enough, she ended up in my space in a weird place. I never thought I would interact with her. And then she showed up <laughs> and I was like, oh, shoot. So it's really cool. And now she's like dating one of my friends. I don't know. It's so fun. So small world, um, small world, right? That's, that's what I think. And I think, yeah, social media makes it smaller. Can't complain. Cool. So true. Um, so yeah, let's let's dive in, Jane. I can't wait to hear your story, your background. I I actually try not to actually do a ton of research on my people because mm -hmm. I like staying in the mode of like, 
let's pretend we just met and like tell Mm -hmm. me your story. So I would love to hear about your education background, what you studied, why you studied it. Maybe if you want to talk about any positions you held or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So basically giving us a little rundown of your CV so we can get to know you in that that way. (laughs) Right? You haven't been asked that in the podcast in a while. (laughs) No, I haven't been asked to share my CV in a while. I might have to look at it. but um. Well, we'll post it in the show notes. (laughs) Okay. I um, I got my PhD from NYU in 2010. I was nice. in the sociology department. I studied race, race and culture primarily. Mm. And my research was on black elites. Mm. And I studied black elites in New York with a focus on black professionals primarily who served on boards of nonprofits. So philanthropic mm. organizations, museums, hospitals, et cetera. And what I was really interested in was trying to figure out how Black people who have achieved great wealth and influence think about racial obligations. So Mm. how they thought about how they fit into a broader Black community, Mm -hmm. what they felt their commitments to that community were, and then how they tried to enact those commitments in a world that's really white. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being on the one hand a minority in that group, but on the other hand, being one powerful person among many powerful people Mm. and thinking about how they navigated that world. Mm. What were some of your findings from that, if you wouldn't mind sharing? Because that's really interesting. Um, I think one of the findings that I found most interesting was the way they really tried to adopt a colorblind Mm. discourse about their giving. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, they would say, I want to support things like childhood asthma, which seems, you know, or childhood obesity, which seem like an issue that's pretty, you know, neutral Mm. politically, right? But Mm -hmm. then underneath that colorblind discourse, they would have this type of racial analysis. So they would support that because they know that it disproportionately affects Black and Hispanic Mm -hmm. children Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in New York. But that wouldn't be what they led with. You know, what they would Mm -hmm. lead with would be, I just want to support childhood asthma, childhood obesity. Mm-hmm. You know, so they kind of developed these, you know, rhetorical strategies to talk about their giving mm-hmm. in a way that made their giving seem very neutral, even though when you kind of dug below the surface, it wasn't yeah. that neutral. Yeah. But at the same time, they had a very strident, <laughs> at points, criticism of a lot of Black organizations. And in that way, they adopted oh, a very kind of almost colorblind I don't want to say racist, but, you know, they developed a very strong critique, we'll use that word, strong critique (laughs) of um, how Black nonprofits were run, where their funding came from, Mm -hmm. and in many times either cast themselves as a person who went in and really rescued some of these organizations, Mm -hmm. or as a person who wouldn't tolerate that type of organization. So remembering one donor, and I remember this to this day, which is how much it stuck with me, but he's like, I only support organizations where the trains run on time. Oh, wow. You know, and kind mm-hmm. of things like that. Mm-hmm. Like so, the internalized oppression of, yeah. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was what was happening. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and just kind of figuring out, you know, the broader question was, you know, how do you Black people make their way when they achieve this type of mobility. Mm-hmm. You know, do they have to do this type of distancing work? Mm-hmm. And if they do, what does that work look like? Mm-hmm. And then how do they rationalize it mm-hmm. you know, to themselves and yep. others? Yep. Yep. But then also, what are the consequences of that? Mm-hmm. You know, Because in another sense, they saw themselves very much as integrating these institutions that needed to be integrated. You yeah. know, being one of... Yes. What, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, what if two board members on, you know, a ballet company in New York, for instance, or, you know, a museum that doesn't have enough Black curators. And they see themselves doing very important race work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In those instances, Uh Uh in terms of going in and not only their presence, you know, Mm. being integration, but also advocating for more integration. Yep. So that's really cool work. That's a short version. Have you carried, like, do you still engage in that kind of work, like where you are right now? Or has it been one of the things like, you know, it was my dissertation. I loved it. Maybe I still write some articles on it. Are you still engaged with that? 
I mean, I am not engaged with research right now because, you mm-hmm. know, work, <laughs> the work that pays my <laughs> bills keeps thing. me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. The work that keeps my lights on keeps me pretty mm-hmm. busy. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that. So let's talk a little bit about then what your goals were. So so you're this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, PhD student doing the work. Um, maybe bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I don't know. I might be putting that on you. <laughs> but um, you're the, this grad student. Um, what were your plans? What were you thinking you were going to do? And, you know, wh- why did you choose to do that, I guess? And, and did that involve like the traditional path or not so much? Yeah. You know, I had a tenure track job for three years. Okay. So there we go. I followed cool. the traditional path. Mm-hmm. When, you know, I went on the job market my last year of grad school. I interviewed, I got an offer at a small liberal arts college and I accepted it. And I went there and I, I, I hated it. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We, you're not, that's not the first time we've heard that on the show. Isn't that weird? (laughs) Yeah. And it just, you know, in a lot of ways I had had, I was conflicted in my last two years of graduate school. I had a really bad health scare Mm. in graduate school. And then it kind of made me think like, I don't want to go somewhere that's not a city. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go somewhere where I'm not connected to my family. Mm-hmm. And that limited my options in it's some tough. way. Yeah. But I was also really angry that it limited my options in some way. Because mm. I'm like, what the hell is the point of getting a PhD if you're mm. so limited in your choices? That's the whim of whatever. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I accepted a job. It it was like outside of a great city. And, you know, it fit, you know, a lot of the marks on my checklist that Mm -hmm. I had, but I just didn't like it. And Mm. I kind of had those feelings, like I said, when I was interviewing and on the market, but I also knew that if I didn't do it, that I never would be able to, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. because we all know how the market works. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's really interesting because I I think I just read a piece someone was writing about that like um I think um the not Jennifer Polk but her partner in Beyond Prof who um mm-hmm. oh, I can't remember her name but she I think she just posted Marin. something about yeah she just posted something about like how, like why you shouldn't like have to accept a position if you don't like it so you had those like gut reactions kind of internal mm-hmm. kind of you know, red flags maybe or like in the interview process, but it's just put your head down yeah. because if I don't, you know, everyone wants this, right? Like <laughs> this is the dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, it wasn't any, you know, like particular interview I had. Yeah, I yeah, like, yeah. Oh, like it was more like the prospect of entering that life where I was mm. like, oh, I really want to do this. It was more general. I was like, okay. if, yeah, it was more general. But then I was like, if I don't do it now, it's mm-hmm. only going to be harder if I change mm-hmm. my mind. So mm-hmm. I need to do it now. Mm-hmm. So did you see yourself going like, I if I I can do it now, but I can also stop. Was that an option to yourself? Like I won't, you know, force myself to do it. Was were you thinking that maybe if I find I don't like it, I should at least try it? Was that kind of what was happening inside your head around that? I was thinking that I was going to go on the market once, and that if I didn't get something that would be Uh huh. You know, like that's kind of the way I was thinking of it. Got because, it. Because, you know, I didn't feel like it was something like I am so committed to being a professor that I'm going to, mm. you know, try to do this a million times. Mm-hmm. So I made the decision. And I mean, I made the decision. The decision was kind of made. For, it's like we say sure. we make the decision thinking of being a sociologist, <laughs> so but in true. a lot of ways, the decision's made it, for you. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, it's your last year of grad school. Send me your applications. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yep, let's yep. get the spreadsheet going and all yep. of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways, I, was, I wasn't I was like, I don't want to be a professor, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, it definitely wasn't okay. that strong. Yeah. You know, but it was a kind of, mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So when I did go on the market and I was, you know, lucky enough to get called because a lot of it is luck. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not all, it's not a full meritocracy, sure, but, um, no. you know, when I was going, you know, on job talks and interviewing, I was, you know, that was great. But I think that if that didn't happen, that if I didn't get something, I'm not sure I would have went through it again. Uh, one more time. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that was kind of where I was at. And I got the job and I was there. And the first year was miserable. But then, of course, everyone's like, your first year is always miserable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just like put your head down and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And Which is so much of academia, by the way. Like grad yeah, school, it's oh, like, it's miserable. Just, oh, your first year, oh, it's miserable. Oh, like, yeah, tenure, it's like, like applying for tenure. Yeah, like, exactly. It's like, just put your head way. down and yeah, die. Just do you it. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah. So the first year was hard and then the second year was better. And the third, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily getting worse, but it wasn't Mm. getting closer to what I wanted it to be. Okay. So at that point I was like, the, the institution was not for me, Mm. I think. And there were just a lot of, I had a lot of resentment about the structure of academia, which sure. of course, you know, we could talk about forever, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, we've all talked about it already. And <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just really wanted more control. And I think mm. that that's ultimately what it came down to. Like, I think we, we, for in my instance, in my situation, I know this isn't true for everyone. I felt like I did not have a lot of control mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm my time over Mm -hmm. the research I did, the time I had to do the research, my teaching, I felt like all of that was not in my control. And it Mm -hmm. made me really angry. Mm -hmm. And my perspective was that I didn't work this hard Mm. to be here in this situation where I don't really have a lot of agency and control. And I feel very marginalized in this community mm-hmm. in this in this intellectual community that mm-hmm. I'm in mm-hmm. in this institution mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be there. Yeah. And I considered going back on the market. Mm. But I was like, but how am I going to know that anywhere I go is going to be better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like sure I can try to go back on the market, and but hope, I'm also at yeah. a small liberal I'm also mm-hmm. at a small liberal arts college where I'm not doing a lot of research. Like if I go back on the market, like are my chances going to be that great? And number two, you know, like what if I go somewhere else and it sucks? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like then, then what am I at? Like, yeah. So at the end of my third year, my reviews were good and I, you know, my teaching evaluations were good. My research trajectory was fine for you know, the institution I was at and I decided to take a fellowship and leave. And Ah, mm -hmm. that came (laughs) with its own set of, you know, decisions about how to leave. And I think even at that point, like I took a fellowship and I enjoyed my fellowship, but I, I was very conscious of easing my way out in a way that I could get back in if I needed to. Oh, sure. Sure. Mm Mm-hmm. So rather like not than burn just all like, the bridges. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. And stay somewhere, you know, stay at a fellowship where I still have this kind of like academic luster on my CV. Mm-hmm. So that if I do decide during the course of this fellowship that I want to go back, I could. Yeah. Like it's an option, you know, instead of just kind of like making a clean break. And even that was like a decision that was fraught because I was kind of like, if you want to leave, just leave. Mm. <laughs> right. Know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that ended up, I think ultimately it ended up being a good decision because, like I said, like the fellowship was rewarding and it got me back to New York, which is where I really mm, wanted to be. Nice. Uh-huh. And it kind of softened the blow of me mm-hmm. leaving my institution, mm-hmm. I think, a little bit. And that was all good. It made my transition like a lot easier. But um, so, yeah. So, yeah. I guess long story short is that I had had, you know, some doubts and then decided, you know, those doubts became more real the more time I was in my job. You basically bought yourself some exploration time a little bit by doing the fellowship. Yeah, I've heard that with sabbaticals as well. Like that's in some cases a way that people kind of start to tiptoe out backwards, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, bye. So um, when did you start thinking about going out on your own and like running a business? How did how did that happen? Was it people you followed on Twitter? Like where where did that idea come from? It came from literally nowhere. Like, (laughs) (laughs) isn't that everyone's like backwards recollection? They're like, I just woke up one morning and decided. But um, (laughs) 
you know, doing the fellowship, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do next. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, like I did all this work on nonprofits and, you know, that's where my research was with uh-huh. like, these philanthropic organizations. And I was like, maybe I can go into foundation work. Like oh, that seems like yeah. something that would be. I thought about that. I thought about grant writing, you know, like the fellowship I had, I did a lot of grant writing. And I was like, those are both kind of, you know, worlds in which I could see myself and which I got more exposure to when I was doing, you know, the fellowship. I did the ACLS fellowship. It's like a public fellow, a public Hmm. fellowship where you're in a nonprofit organization, like as, you know, in whatever capacity they need you to be there. So I was in mine as, you know, a program development analyst. So I would help develop programs, you know, analyze the workings of the programs, but also apply for money Mm. to get these programs off the ground. Mm. So it was like Mm -hmm. a lot of grant writing and then, you know, kind of figuring out how the programs would work. So like doing that, I was like, the foundation world's kind of interesting. And, but I think it's really a personality thing. Like I just didn't, I really wanted to work for me. Mm. And I think that that's kind of Mm. what attracted me to grad school and academia in the first place that I didn't, I didn't want to work for someone else, you know? And it, I mean, it makes me sound like this kind of like introvert loner. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, not at all. I'm sitting here nodding my head, but yeah. I'm also like, this is a great pull quote. So, <laughs> But no, it's true. Like, uh, yes, I'm with you too. There's some level of expected freedom and, uh, you know, part of even like reflecting on your story, like, you know, being angry that you didn't have that as much as maybe we thought. Um, yeah, I feel you on that too. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, and I just wanted it and, mm-hmm. you know, thinking and, you know, then thinking really closely during the fellowship and thinking of my time in grad school, my time as a professor, I'm like, what do I really like? Mm, great. You know, like, yeah. what are the things that I really enjoy doing? I love talking about ideas. I have an eye for detail, you know, like mm-hmm. I really care about details mm-hmm. and I really care about, you know, kind of like workshopping and mm. reading. And I was like, well, maybe you should think about editing, Jane, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So that's how Up In Consulting started in the name of my business, okay. uh-huh. where I was like, okay, I'm going to be an editor. Yeah. Not really knowing what that meant. But sure. <laughs> it's a common path, I think, for academics yeah. in the freelancing space. Yeah. It is. Sure. It is a common mm-hmm. path. and. I started and, you know, then did like some professional development of my own because I was like, oh, I actually, you know, don't have the level of expertise of this that I would want to. So, Mm. you know, doing like some work on my own, seeking out mentors and kind of getting the business off the ground. And at first it was strictly an editing business. So Mm. at first it was, you know, oh, you have an article, you need someone to help you with it. I can help you. And then it became more of a developmental editing business where it really became more like, I'm going to work with you on an early draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And go through rounds of revision with you. Mm -hmm. And as I started, you know, working with professors, I realized that, you know, none of them were getting their work to me on time. (laughs) They would be (laughs) paying me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then they're turning around and, you know, telling their students that they should be doing that. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was a problem because Mm -hmm. they would be paying me and then they would (laughs) not be sending me work. And, you know, like I was really concerned about Mm. them and about, yeah, about them and about me because I'm Your like, I'm taking all this money yeah. and, you know, like you're not mm-hmm. sending me something. So I began to talk to people more mm. and ask them like, why aren't you getting your work to me on time? You know, so we would talk through it. And then I realized that what a lot of my clients needed was coaching. Yep. Yep. And I was like, well, I'm a sociologist and I can approach this like a problem and do the research yep. and figure out how to, you know, like, what is the trend here? You know, mm-hmm. what, what are people, you know, so for me, I approach it like a research puzzle. You Love like, it. Yeah. Professors aren't getting their work done on time. I wonder why. What's you happening? Know? Yeah. So <laughs> what's happening at the institution? What's happening? Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So really, um, and that's where the coaching aspect of my business really Love started. That. It kind of like mm-hmm. germinated there. And then that part began to really become the part that I became 
really excited about. So kind of mm. building out a coaching program, which yes. I have now. It's called the Productivity Pipeline. And Ooh, great you know, name. working one-on-one with clients to really help them develop better writing systems and better writing habits. So good. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I think that my perspective is that you have to approach your writing kind of like a project manager because there are so many moving parts and no one ever shows you how to be a project manager. I was just thinking as you were saying that it's like what, and again, that feeling of like, oh, figure it out, put your head down, figure it out. But no one's I've talked about this a lot on the show too. There's a lot of um, expected struggle, right, Mm -hmm. in the academy. And it's this very like lonesome, don't ask for help. Everyone just figures it out Mm -hmm. thing. And I think what's cool about the work you're doing and the work other guests I've had on the show are doing where we actually are helping academics with our business. We have Mm -hmm. some sort of academic style business where that's your population that you're serving they are starting to look for help. Yeah. <laughs> and they need it because there's yeah. no, no, because, right. And then you as a sociologist know this, you know, the way the institutions are operating right now and the workloads are getting worse. The pay is not going up. The expectations and the threats that are being made of like, well, you better be happy. You have the best job ever. Yeah, exactly. And, like, it, and so then that trickles down and they're just like, okay, so I just have to figure it out or, um, you know, yeah, there's some emotional stuff happening, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. there's so much just like great man theories, you know what I mean? And it's really yeah. like great men. And uh, I'm like, yeah. come on, guys, sure. like none of us read about this in grad school. Like, give nope. me a, f- a break. Yeah. And I think the professors to help the grad students, because I had a great um, dissertation chair. I loved her, but she was not a coach. And I actually hired a coach. I've talked about this openly. I've actually interviewed her because she did dissertation coaching. and. I had a beautiful experience Mm -hmm. because of that. And so um, I didn't have mental health breakdowns or or feel Mm -hmm. suffering. I like have this affinity for my dissertation. I like love the process. And I feel weird saying that because people are like, oh, you're lying or like, Mm -hmm. I don't believe you or what, you know, whatever. And um, but they're just they don't have the capacity to like help, you know, and she was overloaded with students she was, you know, overseeing because she was good. Everyone knew. Um, And so, you know, she would just I would give her, you know, my work and she would be so impressed and, you know, definitely give feedback. But I wasn't in her office crying like she didn't have to do that piece of the work. Anyways, and so yeah, we're they're over they're overworked, and so they can't support the grad students. No one's getting yeah. coaching or or that kind of mental support at all. No, yeah. nobody's getting it, and no one and no one knows how to provide it. Like honestly, no one, if you're exactly. you know if you're a tenured faculty member, like there's no reason for you to know how to do project management. And what I mean, no That's reason, I mean like That's there's no material point. incentive for you nope. to spend your time learning how to do that. You know, like that's a great point. And I think that that's something that people miss. And, you know, people look to their advisors for this type of support. And that just might not be. They probably don't even know how to do it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate because, you know, a lot of people are able to get by because they have research assistants or wives Mm. or, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are Mm -hmm. able, they're able to build this infrastructure around them of support. And then they don't have to do all of those things. And that's not accessible to everyone. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, you know, kind of figuring out all of those problems and then really thinking about the things that made me unhappy when I was on a tenure mm-hmm. track. And a big one of them was mm-hmm. that I didn't have any support for my research. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was partially by design. Like I was at an institution where teaching was the priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's fine. Like I knew that mm-hmm. when I went there, but I wanted to do more research. and. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I realized that I probably could have done more research if I would have had a better system in place, if I would have had more structures in place. So kind of looking back and kind of reverse engineering, like, well, what would have helped me? And then testing Mm. that and talking to, you know, potential clients and being like, would this help you? And seeing that really resonate with Mm. the clients that I have, like, you know, mostly tenure track, primarily women, not all, Mm. not all. Mm -hmm. But primarily, and just helping them figure out like, okay, well, if I'm going to go up for tenure and I need a book and this many articles and I'm teaching a one-two, but maybe I can apply for this grant to, you know, buy myself out of a Mm -hmm. course so I can spend Mm -hmm. more time working on my book. Like, when do I need to get this? 
and then setting up a timeline, you know, like, well, when do I need to get this proposal to a publisher? Like if it's going to take X number of years (laughs) for this book to Mm -hmm. go from proposal to, you know, in print or like in my hand, what do I need to do? Like, how do I need to map out my semester and my month? And then how does that break down into what do I need to do every week? And, you know, and then how do I sustain that? Like, how do I sustain Mm -hmm. that when I also have to teach, go to conferences, you know, take care of myself, you know, like Mm -hmm. have a life. That's last on the list. (laughs) You know, like have a life and, Mm -hmm. you know, what types of support do I need? What types of systems do I need? And what types of habits do I need? And, you know, really sitting down to make this comprehensive plan Mm. with people because everyone feels like they're not writing enough. And for some people, yeah. it's true. But for some people, it's just, a, you know, it's an internalized anxiety. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And helping people figure that out and then not just being like, oh, okay, now that we figured that out, bye. You know, like not doing that, but then being mm-hmm. like, okay, so what kind of plan can we create so that you now have a system in place that we will build, you know, over the next six months? So if you need to make sure you're writing, X amount a week, or that you need to hit these milestones, like you need to submit this many articles this semester, because that's the only way you're going to be on track for tenure. Like, mm-hmm. what do we need to do? Mm-hmm. You know, like, do we need to build better habits? Do we need to protect your time? Do we need to develop some type of writing ritual for you? Mm-hmm. You know, what what are the things that need to happen? That's kind of what I do in my coaching. Awesome. I, I have a I had a thought actually in thinking about when you kind of explained the transition about finding out that people needed coaching. Did you want to research that at all? Did you end up getting a certificate in coaching in any way? Um, or, you know, did you take some courses to feel like you knew what that was gonna be like or what was expected for of a coach? I did not get a certificate in coaching and it's mm-hmm. only very recently that I began calling myself a coach. Oh, interesting. Okay. And that's uh-huh. kind of a f- interesting shift that I've made because at first I was like, I am here to help you with systems. Like this is a research problem mm-hmm. and it's only, mm-hmm. you know, like this is a problem of research, like a typical, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. You know, given my training, I was like, this is a research problem. I am going to like do the research on systems and productivity and planning and uh-huh. using that research, I'm going to help you develop like an evidence-based system, right? So it's more like consulting. Exactly. That's how I would look at Okay. Exactly. Cool. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the business is up in consulting and I really saw myself as a consultant. And then mm-hmm. when I began working with people more and more, the coaching began to become part of it because so much of this really is about mindset. Yeah. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you can have the best system in the world, but if you think you're a shitty writer and you hate yep. everything you write and you spend two hours writing and then you go back and delete everything, like mm. you're not going to be productive. Nope. You know, so that has been something that I've been working more on probably in the past, I would say six to nine months oh, is cool. really yeah. like thinking with clients about mm-hmm. how to conquer the not conquer, but, you know, really think about those obstacles. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it definitely has gone more towards the coaching side. Like the systems mm-hmm. are still, for me, the systems are still primary. But mm-hmm. I think that the coaching has become more of a, you know, a stronger aspect of the whole productivity, like practice that I work with mm-hmm. with people. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And you, I know in our kind of pre-chat, you mentioned that you've been in business about four years now. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, you know, that's a long time. I'd love to hear a little bit about how it shifted. I feel like we've gotten a taste, but if there's anything else you want to share with us about, because I I also like kind of demonstrating to people that are listening that like it shifts, it changes. We get to know how we can serve people better. Mm -hmm. We make different decisions about, you know, Mm -hmm. income streams. So Mm-hmm. You know, is there anything in the last four years that you've really, you know, kind of words of wisdom or um, uh, any sort of explanation of some things that you've learned along that journey? Yeah, I mean, I've learned 
So <laughs> it's just like the, <laughs> right. It's such a learning curve. It's such a uh-huh. learning curve in ways that I never imagined. And yep, I think one thing I have learned is that, and it's something that was so hard for me to wrap my head around as an academic, and just the idea of trying things fast. <laughs> and I've worked with coaches on this where I'm like, oh, well, I want to like integrate this one new aspect into my coaching, but you know, I have to read these five books on it first (laughs) and prepare a literature review for myself and make a spreadsheet. (laughs) And then maybe like I'll have my VA go and do some internet research and see how many times (laughs) people on Twitter have mentioned that they need this particular thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, no, how about you just try it and see if it appeals to people and then see if it works. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Instead Weird, of, right? <laughs> and it's so, and, you know, it still is like, oh, why would you do that if you don't have like the research? And it's like, no, mm. Jane, you're doing the research. Like that, like, yeah. you just have to go out and try it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that stop- is research in of itself, exactly, even, right? Exactly. It's a data point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And stop thinking you need that. Like every time I think of a new service, like even when I thought of the productivity pipeline, I was like, oh, like I had this sheath like this whole shelf of just like articles on productivity and planning and I was like I'm gonna read every single one of these before Uh I work with one (laughs) client and it's just like you don't have to do that you know Mm. of course you should in my perspective of course you should be an expert on what Mm -hmm. you're working on with people but I think also when you're developing something that for my clients, and this is something I pride myself on, is really personalized to them, yeah. which is mm-hmm. why I do one-on-one coaching. Yep. Yeah. You know, like the research isn't always going to give you the perfect answer, no. you know? So it really needs to be an iterative relationship between like me being in the research, but then also me being with my clients mm-hmm. and figuring out that they're like, well, no, Jane, that doesn't work for me. Or like, or no, this is my situation. And then me being like, okay, well, let me go to the research and see like, And my research might be all of the experience I have with other clients, or it might be like the peer-reviewed research, you Mm -hmm. know, or it might be something like from my work with my coach, you know, that I'm like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. I can bring like this coaching practice into, you know, like my relationship with my client because, you know, I see these patterns or whatever. And really kind of trying to normalize that in my work Mm. instead of Mm -hmm. being like, oh no, I have to, you know, write a thesis on this before I can, (laughs) (laughs) before I can take one action. Yeah. You know, and that's something that I'm, I still work on, but Mm -hmm. that will probably be forever. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's good though. There's a lot of unlearning to do. No, it is good. And I think it's good because Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people out there who start businesses and I'm like, you know, you're starting it like with no research. Like you just have like, mm. like you just woke up one day and you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a business coach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. teach online marketing. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, do you know anything about that? Like, did you think about it? And I feel like a lot yeah. of people don't. And, uh huh. but I would say that's been one of the, the best teachings that I've Mm -hmm. had. And that, and like I said, like that came after a lot of work with my own coach. It was like, so maybe you don't need to read all of that. Like maybe Mm. you should just try it. And I'm like, what do Mm -hmm. you mean? (laughs) Like, I don't, this, this doesn't like compute. What does this mean? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. And then just the putting yourself out there in a way that I think academics in particular find very distasteful. Yes. Yeah. But really like beginning to own that. And that's something that's really for me took a while and now I'm, I'm fine. But what shifted you know. for you for that? Cause I think that that's a big thing for all of us, myself included. I'm constantly working on that for you to feel good about putting yourself out there and, you know, taking those risks, taking those chances, you know, quote unquote, selling yourself. Yeah. What are your, some of your thoughts on that? Yeah. I think, I think it's two things. And one is like, I guess, very Oprah-esque in a way, but <laughs> <laughs> I started listening to Super Soul Conversations and mm-hmm. that helped me. But um <laughs> Yeah. But um no, but it really did because I really began to think of my business like I'm providing a service, but I'm also being of service. Mm-hmm. And that really that really was like a shift for me 
because I really had to think. And this is also just through working with clients who are like, oh my God, I didn't think I would be able to get tenure. You know what I mean? Like mm. these kind of big moments mm-hmm. or someone who's like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm finally writing again. You know, like I wasn't uh, writing yeah. for so long and now I'm writing, you know, and really seeing that. And then thinking of myself when I was on the tenure track and being like, I didn't know that people like me existed and I wish I mm, did. But the only, yeah. way, the only way I would have known is if someone would have put it in front of my face. Yep. You yep. know, because I didn't yep. know where to look. They don't know that. Yeah, you know, like, exactly. I, wouldn't, I don't even mm-hmm. think I would have known like what to Google. Like I remember when I joined the writing group, finally, I think in the end of my second year, and I finished an article in like 10 weeks and mm. it was amazing. And it was just like this yep. online yep. thing. Yep. You know what I mean? It wasn't even like a high touch service. You know, like it was just like you go in every day, you click mm-hmm. if you wrote, you could talk in the little Did you pay for it? I or did. Was it I paid free? for it out yeah, of my okay. pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. my, you know, my institution didn't give money for stuff like that. So, you know, like nope. I paid for it. And I loved it. You know what I mean? Like mm. it was so rewarding and it helped me so much. And I'm just like, for my business, I'm like, there are people who really need mm. what you are providing and you need to make yourself discoverable. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I need to be able to do that because I know how hard it is to be in an institution. I especially know how hard it is to be a black woman in an institution mm-hmm. and mm-hmm you need to know what's out there so that you can make an informed decision about your career. Like, mm-hmm. plain and simple. And get the support you need. Yeah. 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 Like, you deserve it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that really, like, lit a fire under me when I was like, this is mm. actually something that people need, like, for their jobs. Mm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. like And their, like, livelihood, their health, yeah. their wellness. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like, there's a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of stress. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and I think the other thing that I feel really passionately about is that sometimes you really need something that's outside of your institution. Yes. You know, like institutions can provide great professional development opportunities, but there are some times where people do not feel comfortable going to their institution Mm-mm. and talking Mm-mm. about their challenges. Yeah. Especially the people who are going to be judging them for tenure. Yep. They don't want to talk about how hard it's like inherently. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily want to tell everyone you're struggling. You don't want to tell everyone that it's taking you a long time. You don't want to tell everyone that you haven't written in a month. Yep. You know, so it could be really important to go outside of the institution to find that Mm. help. And some people want to do it in a very discreet way. You know, some people don't like some people are happy to use university funding, you know, or they're, they have a, university where this is a you know like supported and you know kind of embraced you know like yeah go out and find an editor go out and find a coach like there are some universities that do that but then there are some places where they don't and you know like i feel like it's really important for me to put myself out there so that the people who are at places like that Mm -hmm. can find me yep you have a responsibility that's how I started to look at it too. That you have a responsibility to put yourself out there to these folks in a way. Like it can feel like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also feel like I have a responsibility, you know, to myself as a business person. Mm-hmm. Like my business is made or broken on my yeah. effort. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like I'm sitting here doing all this research about the productivity pipeline and, you know, like working to be a better editor and working to really support my clients. And I need to get paid for that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. so uh-huh. I need to be able to put myself out there and like, really just like get over myself and mm. do it and not do it in an apologetic way. You know, like, no, it's not a humble brag. Like, no, I'm like, I'm on f- Twitter and I'm telling you yep. what I do. And then if you don't want to look at it, don't look at it. You know, like, yep. it's so, you know, it's, it's especially for women, of course, but like, mm-hmm. you know, there is this resistance to people being like, Hey, I'm good at something and I can help you. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, here's my information. End of discussion. Yeah. You know, like I'm not beating anyone over the head. No. Yeah. You know, so once I was able to really believe that for myself, that, you know, like there's nothing wrong with promoting yourself. There's nothing wrong with saying that you can support people. It became a lot easier for me to just go, you know, go out there and just put myself out there. Mm. 
How long did it take for you to realize that? Because I, I feel oh like God, very forever. similar with a couple years, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like two or three years. I think it's really the mm-hmm. last year. And also, mm. but also one thing I did to ease to ease that transition was I hired a VA. And, yes, that's big. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even so much that she took, that I got time back, which is really important, but that sure. I outsourced a lot of it to her. So it was just ah, like, so she was the one who was on Twitter. Into it. Yeah. You know? She's easy to post. She can exactly. post about you all day long. Exactly. Right? And yeah. it's like, and I was writing the posts, but for some reason, like writing them in a word document versus actually posting them sure. on Twitter, <laughs> like gave me a lot of anxiety. So I'm just like, uh-huh. well, if I write them I here in this like magical Google doc, <laughs> I'm not promoting myself. And then she can go Mm. and like schedule them for Twitter. Funny. And for some reason, like that really. (laughs) A little distance. There's a little distance there. Yeah. 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 I like automated my courage, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Automated your courage. Yeah. I mean, there's something about, yeah, as someone who, yeah, posts regularly on social media, like consistency is really important. um, And that you're not feeling like, the obligation of like, oh, I, I sh- quote unquote should post today for my mm-hmm. business. And that can be wrapped up in the I'm promoting myself because it's coming from this energy mm-hmm. of like, oh, I should do this for my business and I should do that. But then when you get really organized and you have a system in place, it kind of happens. And then exactly. the, yeah, the the what's going on in your head, it, you, you know, you're not thinking about it. So exactly. then your story that you tell yourself can't, can't chime in. Exactly. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, Jane, why don't you just do the things you coach your clients to do. Mm. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yep. I'm writing like a Twitter post and I'm like, oh no, that's awful. I can't post it. And I'm like, well, how about you just, what would you tell yourself? Exactly. Or like, how about <laughs> yeah. you just write these all down? And then, you know, like 10 days later, you're not going to be able to be like, oh, that one post was awful because that post was already out because someone mm. put it into, you know, buffer for me. Yeah. And scheduled yep. it. And now I don't, I don't have the time. Like I like physically cannot, Mm-hmm. go in and second guess it like it's already there nope it's done yep. like it's over <laughs> pull the band-aid off exactly i love it so that really put, and then i'm like oh this happened and wow people were nice about yeah, it yeah i'm like no one like <laughs> yeah, no one cares exactly i'm like no one cares <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a theme i think too that i don't know it's i mean i think it's human but it's a theme that's come up here too is like we put all this pressure on ourselves for a certain post or like the way we write something. And it's like, and we never look at other people Mm -hmm. and we're like, oh, I can't believe they're talking about themselves. Like I never walk around on the internet and think that about anyone. No, me either. Yeah. And it's also like all of the fear happens before you write it, right? Like you're like, oh, I can't write it. I won't write it. It's so scary. And then you sit down and you write it and you're like, that actually wasn't a very big deal at all. Yeah. You know, it's like my like, oh, I'm going to post on Twitter about writing 30 minutes a day. Like, is someone going to come in with a pitchfork for this? Like, it's 30 minutes. It's writing 30 <laughs> minutes a day. You know, like, yeah, it's important to the person who needs to see it. But yes, yes. You know, yeah. and honestly, I've also come to the perspective that I'm just like, if you don't like it, I don't care. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's not for you. And if it's not yeah. for you, then I then we're not going to work together. And that's fine because we probably wouldn't be a good fit for each other. So if someone yeah. sees something that I post, and this is something I learned. I took B school with Marie Forleo. Oh, and yes. She was just like. When did you take that in your journey fight, by, by the way? Like, I was think it I early it, or like a little bit later? It was a little bit later. I want to say two, either 2015 or 2016. Cool. So, yeah, maybe 2016. Mm-hmm. But um, her her perspective, which I really appreciated, was, you know, it's okay to make yourself polarizing. Like you don't have yeah, to do it in, that's a, big in, marketing. in a negative mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. also have to realize that like, I work one-on-one with clients. So yeah. I don't want to work with people who aren't going to have a good experience and they should not spend the amount of money that mm. I charge if, they're, if we're not going to get along. Yeah. You know, like values, worldview, all of that stuff comes into play yeah. in, in these spaces too, because we have to work with them tightly. Exactly. It's a great point. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm going to be who I am yep. on social media. And if someone sees that and they hate it, that's probably good because then they know for free <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that they shouldn't work You're with me. You're a welcome person. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, and it's true yeah. because, you know, like mm-hmm. it's so true. 
you don't want to enter into a one-on-one coaching relationship. You're like, you're taking a course from someone or something like that, but you're like really removed from them. You'd be like, oh, well, maybe I don't love that person's social media, but they're a really good teacher. You know what I mean? Or something like that. Mm -hmm. But when I'm on the phone with someone, you know, for a certain amount of time every month and we're going back and forth on email or like I'm editing your work in a Mm -hmm. really close way. Yep. We have we have to get along. You got to filter. You yeah. have to. Yeah. Yep. And I have to filter yep. for both of our sakes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. because you're not going to become a better writer if you resent me because mm. you're not going to want to do the things that I advise you to do. Mm-hmm. And then you're just going to be mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't. And then no one's happy. And no one's happy. <laughs> and honestly, like, yeah. I don't I don't want my clients to feel like that. I no. want them to be happy Did to you, work with me. Of course. I mean, and I think part of work, like, you know, one-on-one services, because that's really how I built my business as well. You know, I did have some clients that I didn't enjoy mm-hmm. and it, and their project was harder, right? Like, yeah. it felt harder to get stuff from them. It felt harder to, you know, answer mm-hmm. to them. Like, um, as a service provider, when I was creating something for them, right, I was on a deadline mm-hmm. and, you know, those kind of things. And um, so it is, we do learn from taking on lots of clients. Mm-hmm. And then we also learn from, oh, this is where someone is in their career mm-hmm. or their business that isn't really ideal for me. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like I was doing too much handholding or it was mm-hmm. outside of what the scope of what I wanted to do. And there is a lot of figuring that out. But I think yeah. from a, a people person level, like the, you know, the human being that they are, their values and stuff, and, you know, the way they see the world, like we don't want to try to convince anybody, right? No, um, to no. like have our service that they, if, you know, we want it to feel like a great match. Like it feels like matchmaking. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think, you know, if you're coming to me and you're already, you already are stressed out. If you're coming Mm -hmm. to me, you're already stressed out because you're Mm, not writing or you're writing, but you feel like you're not writing enough or whatever it Mm. is. You don't need another layer of stress by wondering if we're going to get along. And I think that that's something I've really become a lot more confident about in the last year or so, like I fired clients. Yeah, I was going to say saying no. I've mm-hmm. said no. I've mm-hmm. been through like some initial screenings with clients and told them that yeah. I don't think we're a good fit. Yeah. Because, and I think at the beginning of my business, it would have been a lot harder for me to turn people away. It's scary. Yeah, it's you're scary. trying to make it work. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it's not because I'm like, you know, a millionaire now that I'm like, oh, I could say no to everyone. But it's like, <laughs> I recognize how much extra work the it energy. is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So important. You know, it's like mm-hmm. if I'm coaching you and we have a really bad relationship and then I have to go to my coach <laughs> and right. talk about this. I'm like, are you paying for that? Like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, know, there's like, a tax. There's a tax. Yeah. There's like mm-hmm. a financial tax. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, like a psychic, like emotional. There's mm-hmm. a lot of emotional labor involved yep. in coaching. Yep. And, you know, I think that that's something people should really think about when they think about the type of business yep. models yes. they want to work oh, on. I'm so glad like, you're bringing that up. Love it. Like, yes. Are you the type of person who is willing and capable to do that type of emotional labor? Because I know mm-hmm. they tell you everyone should start out on one-on-one services and yep. that's fine, but there are different one-on-one services you can do yep. that require different there amounts are. of emotional labor. And yep. I think that for me, starting with editing, which was in a lot of ways less emotional labor just because we weren't talking to each other it was all like, the do time. The skill. Yeah. It was more skill-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then kind of, you know, moving, transitioning into also doing coaching, you know, like mm-hmm. it was a very different type of, not only just a different type of intellectual work, but it was a very different type of emotional work. Yep. And initially yep. I was not prepared for that. And I was like, mm. oh my Lord. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like I didn't think this would be like this. Like I thought I would well, just like. Because we become invested it. in a totally different way in our clients. Yeah. In their success. Because because their success impacts your business. If we're being honest, like there's, you know, there's ways that the boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, because I've, I've talked about this and it, it's, I, you know, I see so much of myself in this conversation where you know, as a as a professor, maybe, and someone who, like you mentioned, like being of service is really important to us. That's why we, either, you know, got into teaching, got into making a difference or an impact with our research. And obviously, along the lines of what you studied as well, like giving work in, in society, we obviously care about that, right? So how do we draw a line? How do we create boundaries? And that was 
Um, I learned how to do that well as a professor, but then I came into this space and where I felt like I had to give a lot because someone was giving me money Mm -hmm. and I didn't know where that line was, where in teaching I could draw it because it was kind of professionally Mm -hmm. already drawn, I guess. But like, I still cared about my students. So that doesn't go away. Yeah. But it gets messier, I think, when someone's paying It does. It does get messier. But I think that you have to have the same level of like professional boundaries. And I think that teaching actually really helped me with that, like certain Mm -hmm. norms and even now norms that I enforce with my clients. Like, if you email me on a weekend, you're not getting a reply. Yes. You know, like so if you email yeah. me yeah. after say like seven o'clock on a weekday, you're not getting a reply, you know, and yep. being yep. really strict about that to the point that like in my signature, I have like these, I don't check emails on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Like I just don't. Yeah. And yeah, really kind of reminding clients. And I think that ultimately clients respect it. And everyone respects yes, it because they're like, they get the, they're like, oh, that's the rules. They're like, that's, we're all now like on the same page. Exactly. And also like, I yeah. can't do my best work for you if I'm constantly, you know, mm-hmm. like in my email, like if I'm editing a book, I need to be in the book. You know what I mean? Like I can't yeah. be in my email or on Twitter or wherever it is. So I think that showing clients like, hey, I am actually really busy doing like the best possible work I could do for you. Mm. And that's why I'm not on my phone 24 seven replying I love to that. emails. Like, I love that. I like, there's nothing on my service page that says email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really you important. Know, like, yep, yep. So that's not the service I'm providing you. You know, like the no. service I'm providing yep. you is an edited document. It's not unlimited email yeah. access to Jane. Like that's it's not within included. this container. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And I think that's so important. Yeah. So I'm curious, like what your vision is for your business now? You know, what do you, what do you, where do you want to take it? Um, You know, what, what's, what's your bigger vision? I know that's a, a tough one and I don't mean to <laughs> drop it I'm on like, you, but I, I always like to hear what you're, what, yeah, what you're thinking. Yeah. I mean, I think that one thing I'm really interested in is kind of, you know, like one aspect of my business that I think runs through everything I do, whether it's editing or coaching or what is kind of is pulling back the curtain for people. So people are like, Mm. I don't know how to write an article. I don't, Mm. I don't know how a book is different than an article. You know what I mean? Like, like, how do I write, how do I take this article and turn it into a chapter or vice versa? You know, like these are things that people are never taught. Yeah, you're like demystifying it a little bit is a word that I like yeah. associate with that. Like it's not as scary as it seems. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. And even with all of the planning, you know, like mm. if you break your writing down into manageable chunks, it will feel a lot less scary. Even if you have the same amount of work to do. Yep. Yep. So helping people realize the reason I'm one of the reasons, because it's not all mindset. And I'm firmly mm. convicted, like there are structural problems in academia. This is mm-hmm. not just something mm-hmm. you can like, mm-hmm. you know, mindset your way out of. Like that's like some yep. bootstrap yep. bullshit that I am not, yeah. I'm not a fan of. But that being mm-hmm. said, I do think that you, if you make things more manageable, they feel less scary. Yes. So you still live in a publisher parish culture. You still work in that culture. Mm-hmm. But- I'm helping you figure out how to break things down and really make your way the best you can in an environment that my opinion is hostile. Yep. So, you know, let's acknowledge that and do the work we can to dismantle, to make that environment better, but also realize that I have very pressing needs right now. Like I have, Mm -hmm. like I have the publishers right now. So what can we do right now? And in terms of like the vision, how that relates to the vision for the business, it's really Mm -hmm. thinking about how to do that on a, broader scale. Yeah. 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 You know, so thinking through those issues and, you know, figuring out who really, especially around the writing, mm-hmm. you know, like what kind of support can I offer people around mm-hmm. their writing? Because the writing mm-hmm. and the planning, you cannot separate them. Nope. You know, like so many of our planning problems are built, like writing block is built into them, you know, like anxiety about writing is built into them. The inability to get good feedback is built into our planning Mm. problems. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of figuring out how those work together with clients is my goal. You know, like how do your Mm. 
developing your writing projects from the intellectual perspective in terms of, you know, like what is actually going to end up on the page? How am I going to think through these issues Mm. and how that relates to the planning aspects? Well, then how do I plan this out so that I can do the work I need to do to write something that I'm really proud of? You know, not Mm -hmm. just something that I need to write because I need to get tenure, but something that really reflects like the reasons why I decided to do this work. The why. Yeah. Hitting that. It's huge. I see software in your Future. That's so. Thought about that. <laughs> My husband's a computer programmer, so I actually have ah, thought of. Woo! This could be dangerous. That, That's a dangerous combo. I am a luddite, so it will probably just be like, "I'll send you an Excel sheet or something like that." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's needed, man. I mean, if all we got is like Scrivener to help us, and like I don't know what tools are out there now, but I always felt like. You know, there's kind of some ways to systematize this that might help people specifically. Yeah, but. yeah. I think people are really resistant to, and this is a kind of broader comment, like we believe that writing is a very creative process and it is, mm-hmm. and it makes people sure. very weary of anything that resembles like a template. A or structure, a structure. A template. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> but, you know, the the reality is, is that when you look at academic writing, it follows a very clear structure. Yes, it does. Especially in articles. Mm -hmm. You know, so there are systems you can put in place to help you. And if you are able to grow out of those systems because you become so acclimated to writing in the style, Mm. that's great. That's, yeah, for sure. But, you know, the way we learn initially is through modeling, so, yep. you know, like yep. you need to be able to model your writing in some way rather than banging your head against the wall for a year mm. thinking that you're mm-hmm. an idiot because no one ever showed you <laughs> how to do it. And I just exactly. expected that you would, I don't know, like sit at your desk and read some whatever and be like, oh, okay, well, I know how to write now. Like, that's ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense. Uh, that's good. That's funny. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. I am... So glad we got to talk. Yeah, me too. This has been really great. So where can people find you if they want to connect with you? You might even, you know, there might be a struggling academic out there listening right now. There might. Yeah. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Jane Joanne with two N's, J-O-A-N-N. So it's J-A-N-E-J-O-A-N-N. And my website is up in U-P-I-N consulting.com. And we'll definitely link to all of that too. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jane. It's been my pleasure to uh, learn about you and the work you're doing in the world. And I can't wait to watch you as well um, uh, really help with this because it's definitely a problem. And so I salute you and uh, thanks for sharing today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome.